Cowboy by Zach R. McLean. I still remember my first cowboy hat, and before it was set upon my head, my daddy knelt down beside me, brim up, and here's what he said. Son, this cowboy hat looks empty, but it fills when it sits upon your head. It's not the hat that makes one a cowboy, rather the man it covers instead. You'll have respect and integrity. You'll always do what's right. You'll always have pride and make a stand, even if it means you'll have to fight. Remove it when meeting a lady, and tip it when one's walking by. At dinner brims up, don't dump your luck, and look every man in the eye. Treat every woman like a lady, neath this hat chivalry's never dead. Have faith in God, now I trust you, son, then he placed it upon my head. Welcome back to the Ramble Room. I'm Ken. Diane is here with me as usual. And our special guest today is Zach McLean. Zach from here in Sheridan is seeking the office of Sheriff Sheridan County. Welcome, Zach. Thank you, Ken. Thank you for having me here. Thank you. Uh, take just a minute right off the bat and uh, let our listeners know who you are and why you want to be the sheriff. Uh, so, as Ken said, I'm, my name is Zach McLean. And I'm asking for your vote to be the People's Sheriff of Sheridan County. Uh, I'm a Christian constitutional conservative. I've been in public service for 21 years um, as a fireman. I have a long family history of law enforcement. I'm actually the only one that uh, became a firefighter, so my family likes to call me the hose dragger. Um, but as I said, uh, I've been in public service for 21 years. Um, I plan to stand up for people's constitutional rights, and as a business owner myself since 2011, um, I, I really think that we need somebody to stand up for the business owner's rights as well and give hope for the future of Sheridan County by earning trust and respect from the public, um, and I really do mean earning that trust, and I plan to be the liaison between the people and law and bring back that small-town police mentality um, having high integrity, being approachable, and being very involved in the community. Does that mean your deputies get one bullet and they got to put it in their pocket? That's right, just like <laughs> Barney Fife. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you mentioned the constitutional aspect. There's a phrase that gets bandied about called constitutional sheriff. What does that mean to you, and do you see yourself as one? I absolutely do. You know, through the last couple of years, I think that um, we've seen our Constitution get stomped on a lot. Um, I thought Sheridan would be immune from it, and evidently we're we're not immune from that. Um, we're immune from a lot of the things, you know, that go on nationwide. But, you know, we've seen a lot of that here in Sheridan, and I think, you know, that we've had mandates and, you know, what I would call stretching the law. And I think we really need to get back to the basics and what our Constitution is. And the only reason why any government was formed is to protect our constitutional rights and I think people really need to dig deep as a law enforcement officer, as a fireman, public servant in general. You take an oath to the Constitution to uphold and protect that Constitution. Granted, firemen don't carry guns, but I feel really strong about my Constitution, especially growing up in a law enforcement family. And um, I just feel like I can really make that change. I'm young, fit, and able. I think that I could serve as sheriff for a really long time. Are you familiar with Sheriff Mack? Yes, absolutely. Yep, I'm actually a member of the Sheriff Posse. 
you mentioned posse, and that was another question that I had. From day-to-day normal operations, you've got a normal number of deputies. Um, I've been in some counties where the county sheriff has a group, I guess you would call them extra deputies or yes, when reserves when, yeah reserves yeah um, a lot of military folks maybe some ex yes um, absolutely what's, what's, what are your thoughts on that how that um happen? i plan to pretty much revamp the police officer reserve or deputy reserve program here i was actually halfway through reserve training in custer south dakota before i got hired on sheridan fire and um, I, I think that it brings a lot to the community. It brings a lot of backup for your deputies having the, the police officer reserve program. In Sheridan, the, it's only allowed for those who are full-fledged deputies. So to me, I think that it needs to be more available to the public. And, and that helps in a lot of different ways. I plan to recruit strategically throughout the county. Our county's really big, and we don't have that many deputies on at a time to where if th- there was a you know, potential risky call, say, out in Claremont, if you had a couple of reserves that are from Claremont, they can call them up and be like, hey, are you available? This might be a risky call. Be nice to have, even if it's just another set of eyes, you know, it's another witness. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not allowed here in Sheridan. And I think we need to change that. The other thing that I think that it helps a lot is, you, you know, I, I talk about we need to bring trust and respect back to law enforcement. And when, you know, maybe your neighbor is part of that reserve program, that helps bring in trust because people know somebody that is part of the sheriff's office, not just all the deputies. You know, some people might, you know, they, you know, they're a little standoffish with deputies. But when you have reserves like, oh, my buddy's a reserve, you know, it brings a different light to that law enforcement. And I think that'll really help with the trust and respect side of things. You take a place like Sheridan and especially the the smaller towns in Sheridan County, you mentioned Claremont. Yep. Everybody knows everybody. Exactly. And there's an advantage to that. There's also a disadvantage. There was a little brief story from back, this would have been about 1978, and my stepbrother had gone to jail for a minor infraction, had to spend a day or two in there. And while he was in there, somebody else who was being held there had managed to escape and the jailer, who was another friend of ours, came to my brother and says, if I let you out, will you go get so-and-so and bring him back to me? <laughs> and that's yeah. how it worked out. Yeah. He just went and talked him down. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a little bit Mayberry-ish, yeah. and, and that's not all bad. On the other hand, uh, we face some pretty real threats at times. You know, we've had open borders. Get all kinds of people filtering yep. through. There's a lot of human trafficking, yep. these sorts of things. At what point does a county sheriff decide that he needs that extra help? And how does he go about getting it? Um, well, I think he needs to decide that he needs that extra help before he needs it. And that's where I plan to develop the reserve program pretty immediately when I get elected sheriff. So we have that in place. And, you know, I think you always want more help. And I mean, it's easier to turn people around than to be like, oh, we needed help and we didn't have them. So having that extra help and, you know, I I think it helps benefit the community as a whole because it's more eyes out there, too. You know, you the the deputies can only be so many places at one time, whereas, you know, the, the reserves are constantly out working other jobs and, you know, they might see something that is a huge threat that, you know, they're within the system and they can they can inform the the public about that. 
the laws don't require that someone being a sheriff have a law background, but obviously that's to an advantage. What makes you qualified to be sheriff? Uh, to me, I think I'm qualified to be sheriff as, you know, I've been a public service worker for 21 years. Uh, I have all the experience with the radios. I grew up in a law enforcement background. I know public service, whether that be from the fire department standpoint on a professional emergency level, um, as well as my, you know, running a business and having good customer service there. Um, and we respond to the same 911 calls. Um, I was part of the the rescue team that um, at Acme Power Plant. I don't know if you heard about that about a year ago, but we work directly with uh, the SO with that. The SO is in charge of rescues. I'm very certified in rescue. I'm actually part of um, Casper Safety's rescue team as well. So um, with the sheriff being in charge of all rescues in his county, I'm, I'm very certified in that as well. You mentioned that you were a business owner. Yep. Um, what sort of business is that? Uh, so I own Kicking Glass. It's mobile windshields and tires. So All right. I go right to people's houses. And... Free plug. <laughs> <laughs> you you talked about owner rights. What was in your mind? What what do you classify as owner's rights? Uh, you know, with with the businesses, it isn't the sheriff's and police's job to decide who is an essential business. Um, you know, like you and me alike, if if we don't work, we don't have money coming in. You know, Walmart got to stay open when they really could afford to not be open. Where all these small businesses that got shut down, they can't afford to shut down. And some of them might not ever recover from that. And uh, we've seen it right here in Sheridan where, you know, that was being enforced and that's unconstitutional. We have the right to free enterprise and life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And that got really stomped on. And I, that was a huge eye opener for me. And um, I plan to stand up for the businesses and stand behind the businesses. There was an incident a little over a couple of years ago. I went down afterward and joined the protesters. But this was in front of Smith Alley because they had gone into Smith Alley and mm -hmm. were trying to enforce a mask mandate. Uh, where would you come down on that sort of thing? Um, you know, I, I'm not for that at all. It's I think it's up to the business owners in that regard, and they have the right to run their business, obviously, within some regard, they're, as long as they're not, you know, beating people in there or whatnot. <laughs> but, but, you know, as long as they're running their business, I think that isn't the police job to go in there there's a lot bigger things to do in our community bigger crimes and it's not even a crime it was a mandate yeah. so you know and you don't know what people's health issues are and in our own state constitution people have the right to their own health care well wearing a mask is your own health care if you have a breathing problem that could put people into an asthma attack or or anything else and we've seen it yeah plus you're if if you're someone who is feeling like you need to wear a mask and you walk into a place like that and nobody's wearing a mask there's nobody chaining you to the place that's exactly You're it completely yep. welcome to turn around and go to someplace yep. else who may be more sympathetic to your needs yep. and, and i think also with that it's you know you have to weigh out the different calls that you go on it's the same in the fire department and you know how you act with those calls maybe somebody called them there and you know in front of your customers one is not the place to do it and you know, like you have to decide what, how is this going to make us look? We've been, we've had a war on policing for decades and, you know, mostly it seemed like it was from the left 
And now once you start stomping on people's constitutional rights, you're on a real slippery slope because now you have the constitutional right side that now they're starting to lose respect. Well, if you don't have the left and you don't have the right, you have nothing. And you really need to weigh that out. Who's been backing you forever? Who really stands up for you? And is it really worth pushing it that hard? The idea of a constitutional sheriff, going back to that just for a minute, is, as I see it, is a an agreement, a refusal to enforce unconstitutional yep. laws, regulations, other such things. Um, do you believe that the sheriff is the supreme law officer in a county? I absolutely do, and I, I... I really think we need somebody at this point in our really across the nation, not just Sheridan everywhere. We really need to elect the sheriff that will stand up for the people's constitution, not be afraid to do so. Somebody that isn't in the good old boy system, somebody that isn't easily intimidated, who will stand by the people that elect them. It's an elected position to stand up for people's rights. And we really need people across the nation to to vote for the person that is going to stand up for those rights. And, you know, like I said, not, not be afraid of what might come against them. You know, um, Sheriff Lamb out of Arizona, he made a really hard stand when all those mandates came down. He said, you know what, the governor can come knocking on my door, but he's not going to uphold the unconstitutional mandates. And I've been asked before, like, well, why didn't you become a law enforcement officer before? And actually, I have tested for Sheridan PD, and I have tested for Sheridan SO, and I've been offered both the jobs. Just something told me not to get into it at that time, and I'm, you know, vested into the fire retirement. And I think a lot of it, you know, God has his plan with everything. And I'm glad that I didn't get into it when I did because I have a real good feeling I would have been fired because I will absolutely not <laughs> uphold an unconstitutional order. Let me give you a little scenario. Let's say there were agents of the BLM who wanted to go check on some Bureau of Land Management, just to clarify between them and Black Lives Matter wanted to check on some federal property that was landlocked by private property or was hard to access, maybe it would be a better scenario. Yeah. And you have a landowner that calls to complain that these people are kind of crossing across the corners to access that. How do you handle that? Um, well, I kind of have my own belief on the corner crossing thing. <laughs> um, but, right. but, you know, if they were, if they were, tramping all over somebody's private property and they didn't have the right to do that, then I would tell them they're not allowed to, to go on that private property. And if they persist? Then I will have to use my authority and escort them off. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of a fine, I guess it depend on the scenario, of course, but yeah. um, they can't just go tromping around people's private property. We have yeah. the right to our own property and it, our property is our castle. So There's a story and i i have to say i was in europe as a soldier at the time this happened so i never got to hear all the details firsthand but it's my understanding that in bighorn county some 25 or 30 years ago county sheriff up there actually yes yep ran the blm mm -hmm. clear out of the yep. county and he has the uh, right to do that yes who has a right to arrest a sheriff the county coroner is very I good believe. 
Yep. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> that was a little tidbit that I didn't yep. know until I did yep. a little bit of it's research. It's kind of a bizarre thing. Everybody I talk to, they're like, well, who who's above the sheriff? I'm like, really, if the sheriff has to be arrested, it's county court or whatever. It's like, I'm like, I don't, yeah. I don't know how that was decided. But, but. but you think about it, you know, he's an elected official as well, and that's one yep. of the reasons he's mm-hmm. elected. Yep. Somebody asked me once, well, how come a coroner is elected official? And I never really looked it up, but if you think about it, if a coroner was just appointed by the governor or somebody, man, there's a... Oh, man. There's, <laughs> there's a problem. Yep. So just an interesting thing for our, for our leaders. What else would you like to say to our listeners, to the people of Sheridan County? Uh, the other thing that, you know, I, I really think is a huge part of being sheriff is being known, and I'm not saying just to go out there and be popular, but being involved in the community and talking to the businesses and being well known to where people feel comfortable with you being around and you to present an approachable manner. So, you know, I want people to be able to come up and talk to me and not be like, oh my gosh, that's the sheriff. You should be involved in the community so much that people are kind of used to you being around. And, you know, I, I, I got approached by one person and they're like, well, this is a $92,000 job a year. And how do you plan to make, give the taxpayers the biggest bang for their buck? And, you know, I've earned absolutely every dollar I've ever got in my life. And, and I plan to earn every dollar of this too. I know that it'll be a lot of hours and it's more than a full-time job and I'm aware and fully capable of taking that on. And I plan to be at it any event I possibly can be at. If I'm not at an event you're at, I'm probably at another one that's at the same time. And I want to be out there for the people to talk to all the time. I want to have, whether it's a being on a weekly podcast or, or have a social media page where people can ask me questions all the time. Uh, I think that's... You might a, regret ever saying that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I just think, you know, I really feel... You know, on my decals and everything, I have the people sheriff. And I really think we need to get back to the roots of what a sheriff really is. And you're there for the people. All law enforcement is really there for the people. And we need to remember who really cuts our checks. It's the taxpayers. And we need to be polite. And that's where you get that respect and trust back. And, you know, I think just having that customer service mentality and being there for the people. About 17, 18 years ago, Diane and I lived in Thermopolis, and the Hout Springs County Sheriff, who was then Lou Falgu, he had a pretty regular routine of just walking up and down the main streets, Mm -hmm. walking into stores, how you been? He'd sit down at our place, have a cup of coffee, and chat, and was very, very approachable. Um, We, as residents, really appreciated having that kind of a relationship with him. It seems to me that being the sheriff, you would have a lot of, a lot of your job would be organizational, personnel kind of things. Yep. What experience do you have with that? I mean, you step into that office and all of a sudden you're the boss of yep. how many people and yep. what do you know about that? Well, at a very young age, I was a squad boss on a hand crew, which was 20 people. Um, so, you know, I've, I've learned to manage people at a very young age. I was also the acting captain in Mills Fire Department for, it was probably about a couple of years, I suppose. And, 
Um, I feel like I'm really good at managing people and I have actually even reached out to the people that I have been their boss and asked them what they thought of me as a leader. And all of them said that they'd work for me again, which, which was a good feeling because right now, I mean, they could have told me as an idiot because they have nothing holding them back. And, and so that was a good feeling. And, you know, I, I think really connecting with your employees is good as well. Um, I, I don't want to micromanage being in as a sheriff, but I also want to work with my deputies enough that I will know where they stand and, you know, really get to know them because it is a, when you're alone all the time and, you know, you got to make sure that they're doing okay and really connecting with those people. Um, you know, if they're not doing okay mentally for whatever, maybe it's a call they went on or whatever, and it goes unnoticed, you know, the suicide rate of police officers is really high too. And I plan to have a working environment good enough that hopefully we can prevent that in Sheridan as well. If a lot of different types of crimes in a place like this, but if you hear of, let's just say an increase in livestock crimes, whether livestock is being killed or carted off or that sort of thing. How do you go about managing that? What's your, what's your initial reaction? Um, for sure, get investigating it right away. And, you know, I really want to get a good mutual relationship between all the counties surrounding us as well, because especially with livestock, they're going to be traveling somewhere else and having people, you know, if that starts having happening, have people hyper aware of the situation going on and, and that's another point of having the reserves. You know, a lot of these reserves are probably going to be ranchers being that far out. And, um, you know, it, it gives more eyes out there than like, oh, well, I was up on the mountain when this happened in Claremont. And, mm. you know, having reserves close by or if something's happening, there's somebody close by to, you know, at least with radio communication can keep things informed. Do you think that the Sheridan County Sheriff's Office is currently adequately staffed? And if not, what would you need to add? Um, you know, I really don't. I think we're a giant. Well, I don't think. I know we're a giant county. I mean, if we had an officer on opposite ends of the county and one was in trouble, it's, you know, 96, 99 miles away, depending you know, if you're exactly straight across from each other. Um, you know, I, I would really like to work it more and see exactly what the needs are. But um, I honestly would never say that you could ever have enough law enforcement officers just to keep the public as safe as they can. That being said, you need to make sure that you have really good law yeah. enforcement officers. My granddad was head of the Wyoming Game and Fish back in the 40s. He worked for the Game and Fish for over 30 years. And coming up, they spent most of their time out in the field. And toward the end of his career into the mid and late 60s, there was more and more desk time. <laughs> Yeah. sitting around pushing pencils and they didn't his wardens didn't have the opportunity to be out among the people as he expected i'm i'm guessing that that would kind of be yours you would you would like to streamline the office hours and yep. get, keep people out there yep exactly forgive yep. me if i put words in your mouth no <laughs> no that's that's exactly it and and you know the other side of it um being in a law enforcement family and talking with a lot of my family um it's a law enforcement deal with a lot of bad people a lot of their career and i think it's really important to give the law enforcement uh the deputies enough time to talk with good people go out and you know talk to the business owners and go to events and just talk to the general public and i i think that helps a lot in 
keeping their head on their shoulders and and not getting jaded as a law enforcement officer. If you only deal with bad people all the time, it's going to be really tough not to get jaded because you you kind of will it's human nature to develop a mentality of, "Oh my gosh, people are terrible." When that's not it at all. I mean, the majority of people are really good people, and I I think you really, you know, I think 70% of the time the deputy should be dealing with really good people and having good conversations to where then like that 30% of the time won't be overwhelming and it, it won't get them jaded because they're dealing with good people more often than bad people. I'm also the son of a police officer. And when I was fairly young, I was kind of interested in perhaps taking that. And then I remember my dad coming home and just talking about his day and all of the crap that he had to deal with. Yeah. And that kind of dissuaded me. I had a question sent to me. It says, what cases would require the Sheridan Sheriff's Department to ask for help from outside agencies, and can you give an example? Um, you know, one case would be, you know, we have a reservation really close by, so that would be an agency that I want to develop a really good relationship with. Um, we do have crimes that come out of Sheridan and end up on the res, and, and we need to we need to have a good relationship with them so that we can prosecute these crimes that happen, um, you know, and, and going into Johnson County as well, or like you mentioned, the, the cattle theft scenarios, um, we need to be, and, and, you know, maybe it's not even just the County right next to us, but even the County beyond that to where, you know, having a quick communication and a good relationship with them. So they're not surprised when you call and like, who is this? Yeah. We should have a good relationship County, countywide, statewide, to where any case, no matter where it might end up, that that we can keep pursuing the case and get to the bottom of it. We have a long border with Montana. Yep. I don't know how many counties that would involve out of Montana, but certainly yep. that would fall into play there too. Yep. Um, I'm I'm just going to make this comment as somebody as as you get older, it seems like everybody around you is younger, <laughs> so don't take this wrong. <laughs> But when I first saw you, I thought, man, he looks like he's like 28. <laughs> How old I'm are you? 36. Okay, yep. 36. That's yep. old enough to be president and then some. So. Yep, yep. <laughs> I, it, think, I think the, the young side of it is really beneficial, too, because I don't plan on, you know, the sheriff isn't a stepping stone idea for me. I, you know, I've had people pursue me, oh, this could be bigger, better. It's like, you know, I really think that, we need a good sheriff and a sheriff that'll be there for a long time because that is the people's instant buffer from worse things that could happen. You know, electing a good sheriff is so important because it keeps that higher political corruption from crashing down on your county. And um, that there's a good sheriff will protect you from that. I'm a little bit of a, a football fan, and I have seen cases where you had a, a good experienced quarterback in in high school or in college that moves on and then they've got the next kid yep. comes up and it's he's the one that's responsible for calling the plays and, and being the leader of the team. Yep. Similarly, I did about 10 years in the Army and you might have a squad that has a particular leader that they really like who gets transferred out of there and the new guy comes in. What what techniques to use? How do you how do you win the locker room? You know that's been brought up to me a few times as well. And you know I think 
I'm prepared for some people to probably have some heartache that, you know, I haven't been a law enforcement officer before. And I think just really connecting with those employees and figuring out their, their life and what they stand for and, um, connecting with them more on a personal level, I think will help a lot and proving to them that, you know, I'm not just coming in there with an iron fist and telling them what to do. You know, I, I do know that I will have a lot to learn as well. And I plan on, you know, getting my feet on the ground and getting to know the employees and figuring out who I'm going to trust as my undersheriff right away before I go to academy. I do plan to go to the academy and, you know, I, I don't ever believe in a leader giving orders that they wouldn't do themselves. I never did that as a squad boss. I've never done it as a captain. I don't do it as a firefighter training our younger firefighters. Um, and, and I want to make sure that I can have that respect. And I don't want anybody to look at me and be like, well, why don't you go do it? Because, you know, I will. <laughs> Anything else that you would like to be asked that you haven't been? Maybe somebody has asked you some questions out on the street that you'd want to relay um you know the the high wage i guess is the biggest one that i get asked on you know it's a it's paid pretty highly and and people ask how i'll earn that and you know i explained that um you know i i think the reserve program is really a one of the bigger things reserve and in the customer service side of things which i think those two go hand in hand um, and I really want to get that respect level back up with our between the people and the law enforcement. Um, I hear a lot of people that don't feel like there's a lot of respect there right now or a lot of trust there. And I think that's going to be really the biggest uphill battle, but I really plan to take it on. I'm our public education chairman for the fire department, so I deal with the people a lot and I'm constantly looking at different avenues to get you know, the fire department name out there and what we do and how we help the community. And I plan to do the same thing with the sheriff's office and, and, you know, working with more trainings with the, the sheriff's office and the PD and maybe the sheriff's office and Johnson County sheriff's office and any other trainings they might have. You know, I know a lot of law enforcement officers across the state and, you know, they're really good at what they do. And, and I want to be reaching out constantly to make Sheridan, the best and the most prepared for anything that can come our way. You know, we, we didn't think that the BLM marches would hit Sheridan either. And guess what? They were here. So I think, you know, we, we can't have the attitude and get complacent and think it can't happen to us. We always have to be prepared and we need that extra manpower where the reserve program would have been perfect in that situation and have them on, you know, in all the alleys and everything else to be able to have eyes everywhere. And, um, we were lucky nothing bad happened, which was great. Um, I was down there myself, um, just watching and, you know, I was prepared to help out the law enforcement if things got chaotic. And, and, you know, I think that being said as well, I've, I've been asked by people, what would I do in that situation? Would I allow BLM to come march here? And, you know, it is, it is our constitutional right to be able to peacefully protest, but as a sheriff, I would have beforehand said, you know, you do have the right to peacefully protest, but just know that as soon as it goes from peaceful to not peaceful, there's no um, mostly peaceful. You're either peaceful or you're not peaceful. And as soon as you're not peaceful, you will be met with force because we can't allow that in our community. We have to protect our businesses. We have to protect the people, you know, knocking a big front window out of a main street business that could financially bankrupt them. I mean, you know, some of these businesses are barely making it. 
especially with what we're going through. And it is the, the police job to protect them. Let's say there's a high profile case going on and it's dragging on for a few days and people get a little bit upset. They find out where the judge in this particular case lives and they begin to protest outside that judge's home. How do you respond to that? You know, I think that's trying to sway decisions. And I, I think that they should be pushed back from that scenario because you can't, you can't harass somebody. To me, that's harassment. That's not peacefully protesting. If you want to peacefully protest, go down on Main Street or whatever. But going outside their home, you know, I'm a firm believer that your home is your castle and you should not be disturbed in your own home. So um, I, would, I would have them escorted elsewhere. There's actually a U.S. code to that effect. And I find that interesting because here we have our people in our own White House mm-hmm. encouraging people to yeah. go protest outside the uh, Supreme Court judges' residences. Yeah, it who won't happen purely, in our county. Purely illegal. <laughs> yep. You uh, can't do that. Under, understanding the law is important. And obviously that takes some additional training. You said you plan to go to the academy. Yep. Do you know of other training that would be accessible to you to help bone up a little bit yeah you know um i have a friend that's on the um i don't think they call it the swat team i'm trying to think of the actual name but casper basically casper swat team and a regional response team and they go he's a medic for them but they do a lot of trainings with other agencies and i've actually been talking with them because we don't have anybody in our our really any of our emergency services that i'm aware of that is like a SWAT medic or anything like that. We don't, we don't have the training here. So I've been talking with them, trying to get that training to Sheridan as well. And I know we don't have a SWAT team anymore, which I hope to develop something like it because again, we can't be complacent say, well, it's never been used. So, you know, we've had that mentality with a lot of rescue stuff in our community. And it's like, well, do we dump money into that? Cause it really almost never happens. And then it'll catch you with your pants down every time. So we always have to be prepared. I want to bring in outside training, like people that are really experts at these things and get them here. Um, the other thing that I would like to develop, we don't have a real big training facility in Sheridan for our police, fire, EMS, all of that to really work together. And hopefully there, there is talk about it of trying to get a training facility in Sheridan. And one, I think it could bring a lot of money to Sheridan. Um, having a big facility to have big trainings, it'll save us money as well for all of our training, and it'll make us the best that we can be. Mentioning that, what kind of cross-training goes on, say, police and fire and the ambulance rescue crews? Obviously, the fireman, he needs to be particularly skilled at what he does. Likewise, the sheriff and the police officers, they all have their own paramedics need to know what they do. But... I can see in large-scale disaster things where it's kind of all hands on deck. Yep. Is is there some sort of cross-training that goes on? There isn't currently here. There is in Casper. They have a lot of people on the that are medics that are trained to, you know, basically a combat medic. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't here, and that's what I've been trying to bring here as a fireman, just because we don't really know. I mean, I kind of have an idea because I've worked with people that are in that um, training, but, but I really think that we need to be, be prepared for it here. You know, we do the Alice drills at the schools and you know, it's, I mean, it's good. I think it's really good, but I think we can be better at it. And okay. What's an Alice drill. 
So it's um, like if there's a school shooting, it's, you know, getting kids out of the school. You tell them where the threat is and the fire department goes around so we can watch where kids go and and um, kind of have that accountability on, you know, did they exit right and everything like that. But but I think we need to dig deeper. Like, what if this does happen? I mean, we always hope it won't. But what if what if it does happen and a cop's in that building and the cop gets shot and we need medics there right away? Who's going to go in? We need to know those answers Mm -hmm. and we need to be trained in it and have the gear to go in. You know, I don't, I don't know that many of the medics in this County ever even put on a bulletproof vest. Like, I mean, we should be familiar with the equipment and trained in the equipment and know exactly what we're going to do. And the cops should know exactly what they're going to do when we get in that situation. I mean, we can always hope it doesn't happen, but we can't get complacent. So besides first responder organizations, what other types of leaders around the community need to be involved in that sort of emergency training? Um, I think even the, the mayor should be. I think really a lot of your, um, any of the leaders in the community really, um, it's going to be, if, if anything like that happens, it's truly going to be all hands on deck. And I mean, you can never fully prepare for something like that, but we should at least have an idea of how it's going to look. Where are we going to stage? What, you know, we, we do trainings like that for if there's an airplane crash. I mean, that's a big, big call and all hands on deck and who's going to talk to the media and who, you know, we have to have that in place. And that way, if it does happen, at least there's less kinks that we have to work out. When I was a maintenance supervisor for a nursing home in Thermopolis, we, I was part of a team. They got together once a month and discussed different scenarios. We actually did a, a walkthrough with what we would do if, say, you know, they've got, like Sheridan, they've got a, a railroad running right through town. Mm-hmm. And the idea was that some sort of a tanker had rolled over, was leaking noxious fumes, progressing over toward the nursing home. How do we yeah. get those people to safety who are, you yep. know, <laughs> They're a little bit hard to get moved. Yeah, exactly. And like, as as you were saying earlier, the more you think through those scenarios and begin to develop plans, I guess that's the soldier in me. If you want to know the worst thing that could happen and how are you going to do it? If if two-thirds of your planned crew or staff are suddenly gone, now what do you do? Yep. And I think so. those scenarios like that too, talk, we, I talked about who's an essential worker and you go through scenarios like that. And that really tells you that every job is essential. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the way down, especially like in a school shooting scenario, who are you going to talk to that really knows that school in and out? The janitor. Yeah. The janitors are everywhere all the time. Like if you're like, where is a place somebody could hide? I'm going to go to the janitor. Because he, got, he knows. He got <laughs> that big ring of keys on yeah, his side, too. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So, I mean, yeah. it's it's the, any job from the top all the way to the bottom, they need to know what they're going to do in situations. Well, Zach, I've enjoyed this. I hope you have. Yeah, uh, If anybody wants to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Uh, so they can email me at uh, McLean for Sheriff 307. Uh, or actually, sorry, it's Sheriff McLean 307 at gmail.com. I also, on if you have Instagram, the People Sheriff is my Instagram, and McLean for Sheriff is Facebook, and uh, SheriffMcLean.com. I think you is, better spell your last name. Yes, my last name is spelled M C L A I N. Big M, little C? 
Big L? Yep. AI. Because that'll That's help right. with the email. and Yes, and for sure. Sort of yep. <laughs> yep. And Zach is Z-A-C-H. So. Right. Well, we wish you all the best. Um, regardless, win or lose, you're going to learn a lot. I am, and I've been learning, and, and it's enjoyable. It's Really, yeah. it's a win-win for me. I like talking with people and hearing everybody's views, even if they're not the same as mine. Um, it's just good to get out there and talk with people and, and letting people know where I stand on things. All right. Well, thanks for being with us. We look forward to seeing you again. Thank you. So Ramble Room, Ramble Room, the greatest podcast I've ever heard in my life. Everyone agrees. Just wonderful. Just wonderful people up there. They're greater than Joe Rogan ever wished he could be. That armature, he has no idea. Interviews, nothing. He's got nothing on these guys. Ramble Room, they're just phenomenal. The greatest I've ever heard, and I've heard a lot of podcasts. I've heard every podcast that's ever been put out, ever. They're the fantasticest. They're just fabulous. They're on Spotify. Love Spotify. Apple Music. They're great. They're great. That Tim Jobs, just wonderful. Then uh, all of your other podcast locations, I'd just take a look. They're everywhere. Just wonderful people. Fabulous. And I, I, I think they're findable on CrossCreekMedia.com. Cross Creek, just wonderful people. Sheridan, Wyoming, just a great place. Wonderful place. Glad I could visit.